Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I don't think of a year. Uh, I either think of that stupid ABC TV show thing that goes on, or really what I really think of is when I have to go to the eye doctor. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It was quite a, you know, this last year when I went to the eye doctor, you know, it was, it was quite, uh, I'm not going to reveal my age, some of you already know it, but it was, it was one of those startling moments where I go to the eye doctor and, and, uh, and it's not that my prescription for my glasses, my contacts, to which if I don't have my glasses or my contacts in, I've got to be honest with you, I'm like almost blind. I can hardly even see the clock at night next to me. Everything is shadows. It's really bad. But my, my prescription for my glasses and contacts hadn't changed much. However, uh, I was noticing there was a portion of the eye exam where they're like, is this better or is this better? One or two. I could see everything pretty good until I got to this one part where things were kind of up close and one, two. And I said, oh, that's much better. Well, you know what that means. I said, no, I don't know what that means. You need readers. <laughs> Hang on a second. I am not there yet, am I? There's just something about 2020 that talks about vision, that inspires vision. We just think of vision, and I can't help but, but think as we've been preparing, and over this last year, we've had a time where we've had uh, some people that have come in and kind of assessed us a little bit as a church. They've come and coached me a little bit in leadership. We've just been really praying along with the rest of the churches really throughout, Assemblies of God churches throughout the Ohio Ministry Network about what is the Lord's vision for us as His church. Not just as our local church, Painesville Assembly of God, and that's part of the vision is what is our part of that. What is God wanting our, us to do as a church in our local context, but also in cooperation. What if we came together in unity as a group of churches and we began to pray and seek the Lord and we said, Lord, what is your desire for Ohio? What do you want to do for Ohio? A lot of this was birthed. Uh, if you remember correctly, uh, about a year and a half ago, I had the opportunity to join 44 other pastors and leaders from across the state of Ohio, and we went to the nation of Tanzania. We had the opportunity to go there, not just as a part of serving in ministry, which I had an opportunity to preach during pastor's conferences, an opportunity to be able to be involved in ministry there, but beyond that, there was something amazing that's been happening in the nation of Tanzania and the Tanzania Assembly of God as they have rallied around a vision that God put among their leadership and the churches across that nation came together and what they saw was an unparalleled amount of people becoming disciples and disciple makers. And as a result of that, they began to raise up leaders and church planters. In fact, about a year ago, we sowed into that vision when Pastor Barnabas and Tokumbali from the superintendent of the Tanzania Assemblies of God came here, and he, she talked about the vision of all of these church planters that were being raised up, and they needed to build church planting schools, and we raised over $37,000 to build a church planting school in Tanzania. You gave that. You did that. You sowed into that vision. That vision was a result of people coming together, churches coming together, leaders coming together, not only top leaders, but all the way down, 
people buying into the vision and saying, you know what, we have a burden to see our nation, the nation of Tanzania, reach for Jesus. Tanzania for Jesus. And we came back from that as leaders in Ohio, and we've been praying into that, and we've been saying, Lord, what is your desire for Ohio? What is your desire for us as churches in our local areas, in our local context? What do you desire to do? Because we need Ohio reached for Jesus. How many of you believe Ohio needs to be reached for Jesus? So our new banners are up. Ohio for Jesus. And underneath it, it says all things are possible because I don't know about you, but when I think about reaching Ohio for Jesus, I think, I don't know, how is that even going to be possible? But how many know that our motto here, our state motto in Ohio is all about the fact that there is nothing that is impossible, right? All things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. And that's what we have to believe is there are all things that are possible. It is a God-sized vision and friends, it's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish that, to accomplish what God has put in the hearts of our leadership and the assemblies of God here in Ohio and what God has put upon the heart, my heart as a leader here and what he desires for us to do as a local church to be a part of that. God has always been giving vision to his people. In fact, throughout Scripture, we see that. In the Old Testament, God gave a vision to Abraham, and he said, I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldees, and I want you to go to a land you did not know. We talked about this in our By Faith series, and Abraham said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. I'll follow that vision that you have put in my heart. I'll, I'll follow that vision. I'm going to follow you. I don't know how it's going to happen. Sarah's old. I'm old. We don't have any kids. We don't know how you're going to do this. Nevertheless, we will follow you. And as they followed the Lord, they began to find that, that God didn't answer right away, but he was leading them. And as they followed him, eventually God did the impossible. While Sarah was 99 and Abraham was 100, he gave them a son. How is that? How is that? And out of that, God began to birth a nation and began to fulfill a promise that he had made to Abraham. But God gave Abraham a promise. God gave Moses a vision. He said, I want you to lead my people. Uh, you're, and Moses says, hold on, I'm an imperfect leader. <laughs> I failed. I've made mistakes. I don't think you want me. I'm not even very good at talking. You want me to go be your representative to Pharaoh? I don't think so, not me. And God said, yes, you. And it was at a burning bush. And God is speaking to him. And God sent him to lead. And God put a vision before him. And God began to enable him to lead and do what was him possible. Using an imperfect leader, God gave a vision and began to do something that was impossible. Why? Because it didn't depend on them. It didn't depend on Moses and his leadership. It depended on Moses and his obedience. The vision that God has for us as a church, the vision that God has for you and your family, you and your life, doesn't depend on your ability. It depends on your availability. It doesn't depend on your talent. It doesn't depend on your resources. It depends on your obedience. Because the Lord has all of the resources that you need. He's just looking for a people that will be obedient to follow the vision that God has put on their hearts. And as we begin this new year and as we begin this new decade, I'm praying that the Lord will begin to reveal the vision that he has for our church and the vision that he has for your life and your part of what God wants you to do for your family. 
I'm praying for the Lord to confirm in your heart the vision that he has collectively for us to be a part of. As we join united in being part of a movement that I believe will bring a transformation to our local community. How many know our community needs Jesus? Painesville needs Jesus. Menor needs Jesus. Concord needs Jesus. Fairport needs Jesus. Perry needs Jesus. Chardon needs Jesus. Come on, I can go on and on and on. I know there are many of you, some of you coming as far as Ashtabula. Our counties, our cities, our communities need Jesus. And I can't think of a better way to kind of prepare our hearts when it comes to vision than to look at someone who God had given a vision and really began with a, a burden. And that is Nehemiah. Nehemiah. So I want us to take a look at Nehemiah today. And we're going to just look at Nehemiah chapter 1. So if you have a copy of God's Word or you're following along on our app on your phone and our app notes, we're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 1. Now Nehemiah lived in a royal city. It was the royal city of Susa. It was the winter residence of Artaxerxes, the Persian king. And Judah, the homeland of Nehemiah, was about a thousand miles away. I mean, it was, it was as far away as you could get. You see, Judah had disobeyed the Lord. And as a result of disobeying the Lord by committing idolatry and refusing to repent, various leaders of Israel and Judah had, had led them away from the Lord. And as a result of that, a Babylonian king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar was allowed to come in and he laid siege to the city of Jerusalem and he took the city of Jerusalem captive. And when he did, he destroyed its walls, he destroyed the temple, he went and destroyed everything within the city and he carried back the best of the best. He carried back all the best goods, all the best things out of the temple, literally took it all away, and he took into captivity the people of Judah. He left some behind, but he took the best and the brightest with him. That's where Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that whole thing, he took them in and he began to say, we're going to put you in various areas of leadership. And they were in captivity for 70 years. Captivity. Can you imagine another nation coming in here and taking people back to their nation and saying, you are in captivity, you're going to live here, and you're going to serve our laws, you're going to serve us. And that's really what happened. And then after Babylon had kind of fell and Nebuchadnezzar and his son Belshazzar had kind of fallen away, then Darius and the Medes and the Persians came in. And they began to take over, and during that reign, there were different people that had, had risen to power, had risen to places of influential position. People like Esther. How many remember Esther in the Old Testament? Her uncle Mordecai, who was also raised up for examples. But another example is Nehemiah. You see, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. He was more than a butler. A cupbearer held a position of great responsibility. In fact, at each meal, the cupbearer would be the first one that when a drink of wine was given to the king, the cupbearer would take the first sip. And if the cupbearer died, the king wasn't touching that. That was bad. That was poisonous. If it wasn't right, if it didn't taste right, if there was something wrong, the cupbearer was the sacrificial lamb who would take it first and then say, oh, no, king, you're not having this. And the king would be safe from somebody trying to poison him. That's kind of the way that it worked. But in order for that to happen, the cupbearer had to be in a position of influence and always in a position where he was in the presence of the king. He was in the inner 
part of the king. He was in the, literally in the throne room. He would be intimate with the king. He would know the king. He would know the king's wife. And as a result of that, he had to be knowledgeable. He had to be able to advise the king. He had to be cultured, handsome. And because he had access to the king, he had great influence. And the cupbearer, more, rather like a prime minister or masters of ceremony, all rolled into one. And that's the kind of job Nehemiah had. He had it made. But something happened that changed his life. Something happened that moved him out of the comfortable position of being in the presence and the influence of the king into a place where he experienced persecution, where he experienced hard labor, where he experienced a lot of difficulties. And it was something that drew him out of that place of comfort. And friends, I say this because I believe as, as bad as sometimes we think we have it, there is a place of comfort. My fear is that we as believers and we as a church have fallen into a place of comfort. And we need the Lord to stir in our hearts a vision that we will be willing to sacrifice the comfort in order to be able to see the need that is before us and that vision that God is placing before us as to our place in meeting that need. In meeting that need. You see, there were several years earlier something that had happened. The Persian king's heart was moved to release some of the captives to go back to Jerusalem. And as that wave of captives went back, they began to rebuild the temple. They began to go back and reestablish themselves in the area of Jerusalem uh, and in that area of Judea. And so they were released to go back. And so there were a portion that were released to go back, and they were no longer in captivity. They were able to go back and resume life. And under Ezra and under others, they began to rebuild the temple. Well, time had passed we see that in the book of Ezra, and time had passed, and now Nehemiah had a visitor and a message. So let's take a look at Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 2. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. And its gates have been burned with fire. Now, to you and I, the idea of walls being burned down and gates being burned with fire doesn't have much meaning. But what is really, uh, this is a picture of, is a picture of ruins. That although there is a remnant that has been able to go back, the city itself is in ruins. It's been left unprotected. The walls have been broken down, the gates have been broken down, and as a result of that, they are still open to people coming in and taking advantage of them. The picture of Jerusalem in ruins is one in which it has lost its defenses against attack, and it lies open to repeated hurt and misery. And if you're acquainted with the world today, how many know that there are many people that are like this? The walls have been broken down. The enemy has access to wrecked lives. The enemy has access to ruined lives. The enemy has access to bring misery and pain. The enemy has access to be able to wreck marriages and wreck homes and wreck families. And there are a lot of people who are in despair and hopelessness today. And as we begin this new year, Nehemiah is a picture of a new beginning. 
You see, traditionally, New Year's Day is a day in which we review our lives. We take a look. We take an examination of our lives. We take a look at, at the years previous and, and an examination of the year. And we say, I need to make some changes. There's some things I just don't like. I need to make some changes. And oftentimes, a new year oftentimes is something that we think of as a new opportunity, a new start. I'm going to do something different this year than what I did last year. Well, in reflecting Upon the gates in Jerusalem, it found that those gates and destruction had occurred. And the description is the people were in trouble. They were feeling disgrace and reproach. And the walls were broken down, had burned with fire, were no longer usable. And if we take Jerusalem as a symbol of our own lives, there are many people, many of you are right here this morning. You fit that description. You look back on your life and you see places where the walls have been broken down, where the enemy has come in, you no longer have the ability to prevent uh, any kind of defense against the destructive attacks of the enemy. You've fallen victim to sinful habits. You find it difficult, if not impossible, to break. You find yourself and your family wounded and hurt. A lot of problems that are going on and hopelessness, struggling with despair and brokenness. The walls of defense have been broken down. But I want to encourage you this morning, there is hope. I want to encourage you this morning... There is healing. But it begins when we begin to get a vision and a burden from the Lord. Not just a feeling of guilt. Not just a feeling of, well, I should be doing that. But a vision and a burden that gets down deep inside of us. Something that the Lord places inside of our heart. You see, in many ways, Nehemiah had it made. In many ways, he, he was the cupbearer. He was in a position that, that afforded him a home in the palace and, and a closeness to the king and a life of relative luxury that compared to most of his Jewish counterparts, they didn't have. The frowning providence of God is that he had driven his people from their homeland in Jerusalem, but it concealed the smiling face for Nehemiah who had grown up not only in a, a Babylonian captivity, but also in the capital where he enjoyed the privileges of being in the king's court. Nevertheless, when we read the opening verses, it makes it clear that that was not enough to overrule a concern that Nehemiah suddenly had in his life. Suddenly, something that he had heard about struck a chord, struck a burden inside of him, and it is a burden person that God uses to accomplish his work. But it begins with a burden. I want to talk to you about some factors when it comes to living a life of a burden person. Let's talk about where a burdened person starts. Again, going back to verse 1, it came to pass in the month of Chislo in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the palace. Again, noted it was not a bad place to be. In spite of the luxury of his surroundings, when his brother came to visit and shared what was going on, Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4 says that I sat down and wept and mourn for certain days. There is a brokenness that came to Nehemiah. There is a burden that sparked a brokenness in him. When he heard of the report, when he heard about the despair, when he heard about what was happening in Jerusalem and the walls being broken down and what was going on with the people, Nehemiah became a broken person. And in this passage, we see there are several factors that led to this brokenness. It wasn't something that happened accidentally or unpredictably. It was something that, that was stirring in Nehemiah because it was a spiritual burden. And the spiritual burden began with a concern. 
It's likely that Nehemiah had never seen the city of Jerusalem. He was exiled. The exile took place 70 years earlier. It was 70 years long. Nehemiah had lived a number of years after the first remnant had returned to the city and, and, and made it back from exile. And so there's a good chance, and, and most, of the, most of the people believe that Nehemiah wasn't even a boy when they left Jerusalem, that he, he probably hadn't even been there yet. But yet there was something inside of him that was stirring his heart. All he knew about Jerusalem was what his relatives had related to him. And in spite of an apparent disconnect from the city fathers, Nehemiah had a concern for that place. Again, Nehemiah 1-2, then Hanani, one of my brethren, came. And he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them, concerning the Jews that had escaped, which had left captivity concerning Jerusalem. Notice, the concern did not come. They didn't just bring the information. Nehemiah said, how is it? What's going on there? How are the people that are there? In other words, there was a concern already in the heart of Nehemiah. There was a concern. There was a, a burden that was birthed from concern. And our culture today can be described as an age of apathy. It's rare that anyone is truly concerned about anyone or anything but themselves. I'm just going to be honest with you. Our own little lives. But that wasn't the case with Nehemiah. In fact, his concern led him to weep for the state of destruction for the people that he cared about. I want to share with you some, some statistics just from our state and from our local community. Just some local statistics that I, that I had found just looking up. It didn't take me long. These are right there in the, on the internet, right there, out there. Let me talk about poverty for a moment. The poverty rate in Painesville is 20.5%. That means one out of every 4.9 residents of Painesville live in poverty. Here's the state of Ohio. Across the state of Ohio, it's 14.9%, around 15%. Meaning that Painesville has a significantly higher percentage of residents living below the poverty line compared to the rest of Ohio. Compared to the rest of Ohio. Let's talk about suicide. I saw this in a newspaper article not too long ago. The statistics were drawn across 2017 and 2018, and they found that suicide deaths increased by 45% among all Ohioans and 50%, 56% among youth from the ages of 10 to 24. Youth, 10 to 24. These are the, these, this is the time in your life where you're supposed to have all of the hope, where you're supposed to have, you have the idealism. These are the goals. I don't know about what you all messed up, parents, and all you older folks, and how you decided to mess it up, but I'm going to fix it. I, I, you know, when you're young, you have all the answers, right? Where is that at? That's sad. 56% of those suicides were among youth from the ages 10 to 24. Five Ohioans die from suicide every day with the youth dying of suicide every 33 hours, according to the Ohio Department of Health. Suicide is the leading cause of death among Ohioans ages 10 to 14, and the second leading cause of death among Ohioans ages 15 to 34. Something needs to change. The walls are broken down. The walls are broken down. In, in, a, in a nation where there is so much opportunity and so much that is going on, why is there so much hopelessness? Obviously, it's not found in material things. It's not found in possessions and things. Where is the problem? 
Human trafficking, an article from Cleveland 19 News written on January 17, 2018. Ohio ranked fourth in the nation for human trafficking. Fourth in the nation. This isn't just happening in some other country somewhere else. It's happening here. Here in Ohio. We know the problems with drug abuse. According to an article written by the American Communities Project in 2017, Lake County, which this is their words, a middle suburb just east of Cleveland, Ohio, set a grim record. In 2017, overdose deaths were at the highest levels ever reported in the county, echoing a trend seen across the state and the country. Middle suburbs like Lake County have been hit particularly hard by the opioid epidemic. The communities types medium drug overdose rate, 26 Overdoses per 100,000 people is the highest of any type of, of this particular study, the American Communities Project. Lake County's rate is even more dire, 31 overdoses per 100,000 people. From 2013 to 2017, opioid cases nearly tripled in Lake County from 296 cases in the crime lab in 2013 to 868 cases in 2017. And like other parts of the country, Lake County has seen a drastic increase in fentanyl and fentanyl analogs. The News Herald had an article written in October of 2018 that half of Lake County's drug overdoses were concentrated in two zip codes. Okay, so I want to bring it a little more local. All right, so we're talking about Lake County. Now I want to bring it down to zip codes. All right, two zip codes were the highest. 27% was in the 44077 region. That compromises Painesville, comprised of Painesville, Fairport Harbor, and Concord Township. The second, 44060. Menor, Menor on the Lake, part, a portion of Concord Township, Kirtland Hills. Overdose deaths in 44060 zip code more than doubled from 2015 to 2016. Most victims were high school graduates or had a GED equivalent. The next most common group were those that had some college education but no degree, followed closely by those that went to high school but did not have a diploma. These are just some of the statistics and the problems that are right here at home. 44077, 44060. This is in our backyard. This is your neighbors. This is right in our own community. Friends, the walls have been broken down. And we, as a church, need to stop sitting in our comfort and ignoring the problem. But we need to begin to say, Lord, give us a burden for the need. Father, give us a burden for the need. See, Nehemiah had heard about physical walls being burned down and gates being burned down. That was physically, but spiritually speaking, the walls of defense spiritually in our own backyard have been burned down. And the enemy is having his way. He is rampant all throughout this community. And lives are falling apart. And as we're hearing this, what are we going to do about it? As we hear about these needs, what does that do? Do we go, well, that's just the way it is these days, you know, divorce, abuse, depression, all of those kind of things. Well, that's just the way it is these days. Do our mind go, do we need more laws for that? 
We need to, we need to have more people and making more laws and, and all kinds of di different things. Uh, you know, there is a part of that that is true. Electing the right people is important. But that is not, that is not a substitute for what the Lord calls us to do spiritually. For the need that is there for his people and what God has called us to do spiritually. We have an enemy that is a thief that is destroying people in our community and people in our families. When Nehemiah heard about the destruction and despair of his people, he wept. Nehemiah 1.4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Alan Redpath once wrote, you never lighten the load unless you first have felt the pressure in your own soul. You are never used to God, you, you're never used of God to bring a blessing until God has opened your eyes and made you see things as they are. Nehemiah was called to build the wall, but first he had to weep over the ruins. There might be things that we want to do, but until we get to a place where we're willing to weep and pray and get a burden about it, nothing is going to change. God is calling us as a people that a vision starts with a burden, and the burden leads us to weep and to pray. Whether it's a wayward son or a daughter or a parent that doesn't know the Lord or a friend or a sibling or a co-worker or somebody in our community in general, it always begins with brokenness. It begins when we begin to weep and pray. So a spiritual burden begins with a concern. And next, there's a call. It's not plainly in the opening verses that Nehemiah had a call of God to meet this need upon his life. But later on in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 12, Nehemiah in his own words says this, What my God has put in my heart to do. What my God has put in my heart to do. That's a call. It's not, it doesn't always have to be an audible call where you suddenly all of a sudden you're there and it's like, Thus saith the Lord. And you're like, Yes, Lord. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. It's not always an audible call. An angel doesn't always show up. We just celebrated Christmas. An angel doesn't always show up in a vision to tell you what to do. Oftentimes, it's a call is something that is just inside of you that you can't get away from. It's this inside little gnawing thing that you can't get away from, this still small voice, this inside thing where the Lord is stirring something inside of your heart. It begins with a burden and a concern, and then there's this call inside, this emotion inside. J.I. Packer said this, he could hardly have sustained his work had it not been sustained by a strong sense that God had sent him to fill it and was standing by him as he discharged it. Nehemiah, we see a burdened person has a concern and a call, but also has the capability whether you see that God has placed Nehemiah in the palace for the work that he's going to do or that God called Nehemiah because he had a relation in relation to the king, either way, there's no denying that Nehemiah's position as cupbearer uniquely qualified him for, for the work that God had initiated and put on his heart to do. God initiated Nehemiah's heart because Nehemiah was given by God a capability. He had the capability to be able to carry out the particular ministry and the call that God had given him to do. God might be calling you. God might be putting a call on your heart to do something. There might be a similar burden on your heart. Or maybe you say, I don't necessarily have the capability. But there might be somebody sitting next to you that does, that has the same call. That you can join in the work 
that God has called us to do. If a burden and a call from God are genuine, somehow there is the capability because God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. The capability to do something about a burden will often reveal itself by not simply being stirred about something or concerned, but there's that burden and there's that call and you say, well, you know what? I, 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 God is calling me to do this and he, he is, he's given me the position, he's given me the open door, he's given me the opportunity to do this. So that's where a burden starts. But here's what a burden person sees. Nehemiah 1.3, they said to me, those who survive the exile are back in the province in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. And this affected Nehemiah to a greater degree than it did with those who shared it. It, it says that his brother had came and others from Judah. What were they doing about it? There are those who will hear the statistics that will see the need, that will see the brokenness and be unstirred by it. Nehemiah was not unstirred by it because Nehemiah was a burdened person and a burdened person begins to see things that others don't. They begin to be deeply troubled because there are things that they see that others seem to go right by. What did Nehemiah see? Nehemiah saw the reality. The reality, it was more than just a bad report. It was more than just sad news. Nehemiah heard great affliction. He heard reproach. He heard burned. He heard broken down. And he saw the reality of the situation. There's no effort to put a positive spin on it. There's no effort to try to change it around. Well, you know what? That's bad there. But I hear they built the temple. Hey, that's progress, right? They did something. He doesn't try to minimize the situation. Friends, we'll never have a holy burden until we have an honest view of how bad the need really is. Those who are always looking for the bright side can be blinded by optimism. There are many situations where good news isn't seen until the bad news has first been completely and honestly comprehended. We've got to be honest about the reality of the situation. We can't deny it. Let the Lord open our eyes to see what's happening. You see, Jesus himself even had his eyes open to the reality of what's happening in Jerusalem at the time in which he came. Luke chapter 19 and verse 41 gives us an example when it says, He, meaning Jesus, drew near and saw the city, and he wept over it. He wept over it. He saw that the real problem in Jerusalem was not the political situation. It was not the Roman uh, oppression, but it was the spiritual condition and the losses that was caused by sin. And its reality led him to, lead, to, to weep over the city and its people. A burdened person will clearly see the reality. But not only that, but they'll see the ramifications Nehemiah's burden in the opening verses stems not from nostalgia. It doesn't stem from nationalism. His concern is not primarily about a, a historic city and, and, and the situation, the status of his nation. No, his concern when he looks at the broken down way, he says this city is not reflecting the glory of God. This city is not reflecting what God desires. And it was a spiritual burden. There was ramifications to the spiritual condition of the city in which he saw he had asked anxiously about the state of things in Jerusalem because he cared much about the glory of God and the good of the souls that were there. It was one thing to be concerned about a city and its inhabitants in distress, but it's another thing when you take on the spiritual 
part of that, when you begin to recognize that God, who has all the power and all the glory, who sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us, and we see a world that is hurting and broken, and we can make all the excuses we want, but the church needs to get a burden. Believers need to get a burden from God to follow and do what God has called us to do, and that is to bring the hope of Jesus Christ to those that are hurting. S.E. Anderson said, more than broken walls, the cause of Nehemiah's grief was bound up in the honor of the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The glory of Israel and Israel's God was at stake. Friends, the glory of God ought to motivate us. The glory of God ought to motivate us. Motivate us to move beyond feelings of criticism or being criticized or being persecuted but rather the glory of God ought to motivate us that Jesus would be honored, that Jesus would be made famous, that Jesus would receive all the glory and the honor. Thirdly, a burdened person sees the reality, the ramifications, and the responsibility. Though Nehemiah is 800 miles from Jerusalem and never actually seen the city, he still feels a connection and a responsibility for it, and it moved him to be burdened personally. It's easy for us to detach ourselves from the larger work of God and miss the personal responsibility that God has placed on each one of us as his disciples to carry out the Great Commission, to carry out the work and participate in the work that he is doing. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been commissioned by Jesus Christ. If you are a believer of Jesus Christ, God has put a call on your heart and a call on your life towards something. There is something in which God has said, you as a believer in Jesus Christ are my ambassadors. And I have commissioned you to something. And sometimes we can dismiss it to the larger work and say, well, that's for the pastor to do. Or that's for the evangelist to do. Or that's for this ministry to do. Or that's for that ministry to do. Oh, that's wonderful. Or I really wish somebody would do that and dismiss the personal responsibility that you and I have. Nehemiah said in verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. It was as if Nehemiah was already sitting amidst the rubble rather than the palace. There was, there was a personal responsibility and a role that he felt as a burdened person. Finally this morning, not only how a burdened person starts, what a burdened person sees, but a burdened person, who a burdened person seeks. Who a burdened person seeks. And it says this, when I heard these words, when the burden had come, when he had received it, when I heard thee, what did he do? I sat down and wept and mourned for certain days. And look what, I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah reminds us that when we are moved by a burden, and before we act upon it, we must seek God's will and his intentions upon what he's laying upon our heart. And so what a burdened person seeks is the heart of God. He mourns and he fasts. In the act of mourning and the discipline of fasting, Nehemiah is drawing close to the heart of God. See, prayer is about joining close to the heart of God. It's not so much praying uh, that, that, that God would change a situation as much as that God would change us and position us so that we can be a part of what he's doing. God wants to do something, but he's looking people for people who will begin with prayer and who will align their heart with his heart, who will join him in what he wants to do. And a burdened person begins by seeking the heart 
of God. They'll seek the heart of God even at the expense of their own comfort. And we're reminded about seeking the heart of God. Not only do they seek the heart of God, but they seek the hearing of God. Through fasting and prayer, Nehemiah sought to hear from the Lord about the direction that he should take. The need is great. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And the need in our community is great. So we must start with prayer. God, what do you want us to do? God, how do you want us to handle this? Where do you want to position us? What do you want us to do? How can we be a part of this? And that begins in prayer. Turning to God and getting into the place where we can hear from the Lord. John Bunyan said this, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Someone else said this, prayer does not prepare us for a greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Thus, we are beginning the week here of prayer. We're beginning this week with a special focus with prayer to get a burden from the Lord for him to show us what he desires. And through prayer, we seek the help of God. Before Nehemiah turned to the king of Persia, he turned to the God in whom he worshipped. The God who rules above all earthly powers. He is conscious that he will need the help of the king, but he doesn't turn to the king and say, King, I need you to help me. He turns to the Lord first. He begins to turn to the Lord because he knows that without the Lord, there is no chance of succeeding. Raymond Brown said he was in Susa, and his problem was in far-off Jerusalem, but both cities, one rich, the other poor, one strong, the other weak, one proud, the other broken, were like tiny specks of dust under the canopy of God's heaven. See, those with the burden seek the help of the God of heaven, realizing that he is the supreme authority and has the ability and accomplish more than men can alone. It starts with a burden. It starts with a burden, but Nehemiah points us to the necessity of heavy hearts and bended knees, empty stomachs, and moist eyes. Alan, Red, Alan Redpath again writes this, We are fit for the work of God only when we have wept over it and prayed about it, and then we are enabled by him to tackle the job that needs to be done. May God give us hearts that bleed, eyes that are wide open, minds that are clear to interpret God's purpose, wills that are obedient, and a determination that is unflinching as we set about the task that he would have us to do. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and we're going to land the plane this morning. And let me ask you this question first and foremost. We talked about the stats here in our own community, but what about your own family? What about your own life? What about the community in which you're a part of? Is it time to take a survey of your own life, of your own family, of your own community, of your own neighborhood as we enter 2020 and say, Lord, where are the walls that have been broken down? Give us a burden. Let us see the need. Let us see the need. Secondly, our city, our county, our state, our nation is in a state of brokenness and despair. And the need is overwhelming, yet the call remains the same. Jesus Christ is the Savior who has come to bring salvation. He has come to bring healing. He has come to bring hope. But he is looking for people, believers, who will pray and who will seek his heart and will say, Lord, give us a burden for the things that you are burdened for. Father, give us a burden. Let us see the reality. Let us see the ramifications and give us a personal responsibility to take part in the need, in meeting the need. It begins 
with prayer. Begins with prayer. And I ask that you will seek the Lord and say, God, give me a vision. God, give me a burden. Give me a burden. Give me a vision. Give me a vision. How can I be a part of what you want to do to bring transformation? Give me a burden, Lord, for my family. Give me a burden, Father, for my community. Give me a burden for my neighbors. Give me a burden for my coworkers. Father, give me a burden. Give me a burden. I invite you to spend time in prayer with us this week, whether you come to the church for prayer, whether you come and seek the Lord, or whether you seek the Lord at home. But let's ask the Lord to unite our hearts and ask the Lord to give us a, a burden that stays inside of us and won't let us go so that we can fulfill the call and the vision that God has for us as his people. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to ask the Lord right now, Lord, give me a burden. Father, give me a burden for the lost. Give me a burden for the hopeless. Give me a burden for my neighbors. Give me a burden for the people in my family that the walls have been broken down. <laughs> Let me see the need. Open my eyes. Let me see the need. What are you calling me to do? Oh, Jesus. Jesus, we come. We read the stats. And they're just numbers until there are names attached to it. Until there are people. People that we love. Stuck. Trapped. Hopeless. The walls of their life broken down. Oh, Jesus, give us a burden. Father, put faces in front of us that we would cry out and that we would weep for those that are lost, for those that are hurting, for those that are helpless. Jesus, give us a burden. Give us a burden. Father, let us be moved. Moved by the things that are moving your heart right now. Let us be broken by the things that are breaking your heart. Oh, God, let us be broken by the things that break your heart. Not to just stay in our own comfort, to stay in our own little shell, to stay in our own little safe place. Move us, God, from a place of criticism to a place of prayer, to a place of action, to a place, Lord, where we seek you and we say, God, what do you want me to do about it? What do you want us to do? There is a world that is in need. There is a community that is in need. There are people, Lord, that are in need. Use us. Burden us. Give us a vision, Lord, that we would see our community transformed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I invite you to just seek the Lord. I know that we're up against the clock in terms of when we end. The worship team is going to lead us in a song, and I invite you today to if you want to come and to spend some time praying and asking the Lord to give you a burden, asking the Lord to begin to stir your heart, 
to stir your heart for what he's calling you to do, to stir your heart. If your walls have been broken down, if there's brokenness in your life and you need prayer, I invite you to come and respond. I'd love to pray with you this morning and begin to agree with you in prayer for the Lord and begin to rebuild the walls in your life and the defenses back up against the attacks of the enemy and to restore hope in you today. Whatever it is, let's begin to ask the Lord for a burden today. And so we're going to just sing today. We're going to worship with one last song today. I invite you to stand or to come up and, and, and pray or kneel at your seat or whatever and ask the Lord for a burden today from Him. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's Word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.